0: From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, trabeculectomy versus drainage implant, one-year data from the TVT study, part one.
1: The study really was designed to compare the safety and efficacy of tube shunt surgery using a a Behrveld implant and trabeculectomy with the adjunctive use of mitomycin C in one population of patients, and those were those that had prior ocular surgery, namely prior cataract surgery or failed filtering surgery.
0: First, this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Getty declares research funding from unrestricted grants from AMO and Pfizer, the NEI, and research to prevent blindness. Before we get to today's program, I'd like to tell you about a joint effort between the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the Bombay Ophthalmologists Association. It's called As Seen from Mumbai, and it's going to be a template for joint projects with other regional ophthalmic societies. To explain how this all works, I'd like to introduce Swaranjeet Bhatti from the Bombay Ophthalmologists Association. Namaste Swaranjeet, Tell me something about the BOA.
2: Hello, Josh. The BOA or the Bombay Ophthalmologists Association is the association to which most of the ophthalmologists of Mumbai belong. Mumbai, as you know, is the financial capital of India and in a sense it's the gateway to India. We have a membership of more than 800 members and we have a pretty active association with an annual conference, a journal, a newsletter which goes to the members every two months or so. And, of course, now, in tying up with As Seen From Here, we'll have regular podcasts, too.
0: I'm really excited about our new collaboration, As Seen From Mumbai. This is going to be a little different from our foreign language affiliates because this is actually going to incorporate the English-language podcasts. How's it going to work?
2: Well, the idea of having the As Seen From Mumbai site was to provide all the content of the As Seen From Here site as well as customizing it to incorporate additional content of interest to the ophthalmologist of Mumbai. We thought that we'd include a few local announcements of academic programs to be held by the Bombay Ophthalmologist Association, and in due course, we would also incorporate additional scientific content topical to the Bombay scene.
0: How do we find your podcast?
2: You can find a scene from Mumbai on iTunes, or you could get the feed for the RSS link, from, as seen from Mumbai.com. You could even subscribe to the podcast by downloading a free podcatcher, which you could get from one of the links on the site.
0: Thanks, Waranjeet.
2: Thanks and goodbye, Josh.
0: Last year, I spoke with Steve Getty about the newly launched tube versus trabeculectomy study. Although the interview discussed some of the advantages and disadvantages of each technique, the study hadn't published any data. Now, one year later, the TVT is releasing some of its initial findings. Because of the complexity of the issues and the range of topics to be discussed, I've divided the interview into two parts. We'll hear part one today and part two next week. How do we decide when incisional glaucoma therapy is warranted? We do glaucoma
1: surgery, really it comes down to two major circumstances. One is if a glaucoma patient is getting worse despite maximum medical therapy and appropriate laser treatment, or if you as a clinician feel that the patient has a high risk of getting worse despite maximum medical therapy and appropriate laser treatment. So again, if you pushed other treatment options to the limit and the person demonstrates progressive glaucoma certainly requires further intervention and alternatively um, you know if a person has advanced glaucoma and their intraocular pressure is 40 in the eye don't I think we would all agree that we don't need to sit there and wait and watch that person get worse we know their risk of progressive disease is high enough to certainly warrant uh, further intervention and that may be surgery if if they, if you put the, push the other modalities namely medical therapy and laser treatment to the limits
0: when glaucoma surgery is needed what is the conventional first choice
1: you know uh, trabeculectomy really remains the gold standard operation and you know i think if you surveyed 100 glaucoma specialists probably 100 of them would agree that in the kind of bread and butter uh, low-risk type glaucomas, and I'm speaking about primary open-angle glaucoma, chronic-angle closure glaucoma, pseudo-exfoliation glaucoma, pigmentary glaucoma, those types of glaucomas, really a trabeculectomy is the first-choice operation. Now, when, you, when you're dealing with some of the more refractory secondary glaucomas, like neovascular glaucoma, uveitic glaucoma, ice syndrome, for example, Even as an initial surgical approach, I think um, many glaucoma surgeons would use a tube shunt or glaucoma drainage implant as the initial procedure in that group.
0: In the group that you mentioned, why might valve or, as you call it, tube surgery be chosen as the initial incisional therapy?
1: Um, Well, actually in the two TVT study, the two versus trabeculectomy study, all of those patients had prior ocular surgery. In other words... really none of the patients had virgin eyes, essentially. All of them had either prior cataract extraction or failed filtering surgery in order to be eligible for enrollment in the study. So it really didn't address what's the best kind of initial surgical procedure. I'll tell you that we have a a primary TVT study that is just about to begin, which is going to address that very question, but that wasn't actually what was addressed in the T V T study.
0: What is the conventional choice if initial incisional surgery fails? And and, and I mean outside of the T V T study, just in general in glaucoma specialists' practices?
1: Yeah. A survey was actually done of members of the American Glaucoma Society to get a sense of the answer to your question, Josh, and and um, it presented uh, those glaucoma specialists with a variety of clinical scenarios and ask them what was their preferred surgical approach. So, uh, for example, they ask in a patient that's had failed filtering surgery, what operation would you use as kind of your initial surgical procedure? And the majority of of AGS members really would select a trabeculectomy with mitomycin C uh, in that clinical situation, at least when this survey was initially um, distributed in 1996. Interestingly, that same survey was re-administered to members of the AGS uh, about six years later, I think in 2002. It was interesting to look how practice patterns had shifted. And, And for each of those different clinical scenarios that were presented, the percentage of responders that would use a tube shot had increased. Um, uh, but still, a trabeculectomy with mitomycin C still was the the most popular surgical approach in in patients that have had um, uh, prior ocular surgery, like filtering surgery or cataract surgery.
0: Have there been similar trends in popularity of these different procedures for primary surgery therapy? Um,
1: it's h- hard to say. Um, first of all, this survey that I just spoke of didn't ask about different surgical approaches as a primary procedure in kind of low-risk eyes, the primary open-angle glaucoma eye and, and all. And I think most glaucoma specialists still prefer a trabeculectomy in that situation. We can get some information about surgical trends just looking at Medicare utilization data. And if you look over the last decade or so, the number of trabeculectomies that are being performed have been steadily decreasing, and, um, and that's probably more related to advances in medical therapy, in particular in introduction to prostaglandin analogs. But what's interesting is that during that same time period, the last decade, the number of tube shunts that are being um, implanted has about tripled in number. So that doesn't really give us an exact idea about what types of patients these surgeries are being done, uh, but does give us an idea of overall trends in, in glaucoma surgery. And it seems to be such that there's a, a, a decline in the number of trabeculectomies being performed and, a, and an increase in the number of, of tube shuns being done. And I think my, my sense is, is that the indications, what surgeons feel are indications for for performing drainage implant surgery are expanding. Traditionally, these devices have been reserved for really the most kind of beat up eyes, the most refractory glaucomas, uh, eyes that have had multiple previous operations or just have horrific glaucoma like neovascular glaucoma. But as our experience grows with them, I think there has been a trend towards using them uh, in, let's say, less high-risk eyes. So, So maybe even in eyes that might be considered of of intermediate risk for failure. And that was actually the population that was focused on in in the TVT study, patients that had had only prior cataract surgery or only failed filtering surgery. And I think those those types of eyes aren't considered to be at high risk for failure. And I think among glaucoma specialists, at least among me and the investigators in this study, we really didn't know what was a better surgical approach for those types of patients. Was it to do a uh, trabeculectomy with mitomycin C or, or place a glaucoma drainage implant like the, like the Behrveld implant?
0: Prior to this study, was there any consensus about which approach was correct or best for these patients?
1: Well, I think Honestly, Josh, people didn't know. At least, um, all the investigators that are partic- that participated and I guess continue to participate in the TBT study, they really didn't know the answer. What is the better, better surgical approach? And 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 for that reason, they were uh, willing to participate um, in this in this study because they really didn't know the answer. I, I actually will. Candidly tell you that there were a couple of investigators that I actually um, invited them to participate in this study, and they they didn't want to participate because they had strong feelings that they felt, you know, in this population of patients, they felt they knew what was a better operation. And generally, the few people that declined to participate actually felt a trabeculectomy with mitomycin C was was in their estimation a better operation, and they didn't feel comfortable. Um, enrolling patients to in, in, in a study that would give them a 50% chance of, of being assigned treatment with an operation that they felt was inferior to, to, to the other. And so they declined to participate, and I certainly respected that decision. But I guess the point is, is investigators in a, in a trial um, wouldn't really participate or can't participate unless they honestly in their heart of hearts, don't know what the better surgical approach is, or I guess in this particular study, none of the investigators knew which was a better operation, a trabeculectomy with minimization C or a tube shunt, uh, at least in the population we were studying. They felt uh, they felt comfortable um, uh, enrolling patients in, in such a study, randomly assigning them, them to one of those two operations.
0: Steve, what did the TVT study seek to elucidate?
1: It really was designed to give surgeons more information to help guide them in these uh, surgical decision making. So the the study really was designed to compare the safety and efficacy of tube shun surgery using a, a bare belt implant and trabeculectomy with the adjunctive use of mitomycin C in one population of patients and those or um, those that had prior ocular surgery, namely prior cataract surgery or failed filtering surgery.
0: Steve, can I have you describe the design of the study?
1: Yes. Um, Again, patients that uh, had medically uncontrolled glaucoma with pressures in the 18 to 40 range and had a history of prior ocular surgery, either cataract surgery, failed filtering surgery, or a combination of both, uh, were randomly assigned to, uh, receive either a 350 Bearvelt implant, which was implanted supratemporally, and, and the, those patients in the tube group required a complete restriction of flow through the device at the, at the time of implantation, or they were assigned to treatment with a trabeculectomy with mitomycin C, and a standard, uh, dosage of mitomycin is 0.4 milligrams per milliliter for four minutes was used intraoperatively. And then uh, this was a long-term study or plans to be a long-term study. Um, we're planning five years of follow-up, but we um, are collecting data at, at set uh, predetermined follow-up visits and looking at, I think, typical outcome measures in a glaucoma surgical trial, things like intraocular pressure, visual acuity, visual fields, um, complication rates, rates of reoperation. Uh, Need for supplemental medical therapy, and we actually even are looking at quality of life. We're using one of the, I think, more popular quality of life instruments, the National Institute Visual Function Questionnaire.
0: Steve, can you say a word about the demographics of the study population? Uh,
1: The uh, average uh, age of the study population was about 71 years, and we had a roughly equal number of, of patients that were of Caucasian and uh, African-American ethnicity. Primary open-angle glaucoma was overwhelmingly the most common type of glaucoma in the study population. About 20% of patients were phagic in the study, and the remaining 80% were pseudophakic. And they were had an average number of a medication about three medications, um... Uh, at the time of enrollment in the study. The, there were no s- significant differences between the patients in the tube group compared to those in the trabeculectomy group at the time of enrollment. And I think that showed that our randomization was very effective in, in creating two balanced uh, treatment groups.
0: What were the main outcome measures for this study?
1: Yeah, the main uh, things that we were looking at were intraocular pressure, um, visual acuity, which was measured both with uh, EPDRS visual acuity testing and Snellen uh, visual acuity, visual fields, which were assessed with uh, Humphrey visual field testing, quality of life, and we used the National Eye Institute visual function questionnaire for measuring that outcome. Uh, we looked at rates of complications, Rates of reoperation and need for supplemental medical therapy.
0: Which centers participated in this study?
1: Well, there were 17 uh, clinical centers, and they included uh, Bascom Palmer, uh, Duke University, Indiana University, Loyola uh, Medical College of Wisconsin, Medical University of South Carolina, Moorfields, New York Eye and Air, Scripps Clinic, St. Louis University, UC Davis. University of Florida, University of Oklahoma, uh, USC, University of Texas-Houston, uh, University of Virginia, and University of Wisconsin were the 17 centers that participated. So academic centers scattered throughout the United States and, and also uh, Moorfield Hospital in, in England. So it was, I guess, in in one sense, an international
0: study. Steve, can I have you describe the surgical technique and how you went about standardizing it?
1: Sure. You know, again, this is a a surgical uh, trial, so we needed to be careful to standardize the two surgical procedures under study. However, we still wanted to allow the surgeon enough latitude to perform the operation in a manner in which he or she felt comfortable and obviously was most proficient. So, again, patients that were randomized to the uh, tube group all Received a 350 Behrvel, uh glaucoma implant. It had to be implanted supertemporally and, and did require a complete restriction of flow through the device at the time of implantation. Now, the surgeon was allowed some latitude about whether they used a, a fornix based or a limbus based conjunctival flap. They could use whatever patch graft material they wished. Sclera, cornea, pericardium, or whatnot. Uh, they were also allowed to fenestrate the tube at the time of a surgical implantation to provide early pressure reduction. We didn't allow them to perform an orphan trabeculectomy, which is uh, a surgical approach that's used by many um, glaucoma surgeons. We felt that it wasn't, I guess, reasonable to allow some uh, uh, patients in the study to have both surgical procedures, namely a trabeculectomy and and, um, and belt implant. So, and for that reason, we had a kind of an upper intraocular pressure limit of 40. Patients with very high pressures, we didn't, uh, were not eligible for this study. Um, patients that were randomized to the trabeculectomy group had a trabeculectomy again with a standard dose of mitomycin C of 0.4 milligrams per milliliter for four minutes. And the trabeculectomy had to be done in a superior location. Now, uh, the surgeon could use a, a lindus or fornix-based flap. The, the size, uh, shape of the trabeculectomy flap was was left to their discretion. The number of flap sutures that were placed um, all left up to the surgeon. So, uh, again, fairly standard procedures, but with some latitude for the surgeon to to perform the pr- the procedure in the in the manner in which they were uh, most proficient.
0: For the data that we're going to be discussing today, what was the length of follow-up?
1: Well, we, we reported uh, the one-year data. So we included all of the follow-up visits during that first year, which included uh, one day, one week, one month, three months, six months, and one year postoperatively. Again, we we have a Uh, five-year study planned. And so additional data points at 18 months, two years, three years, four years, and five years will be, uh, we're still collecting that data and and plan to present it at a later date.
0: For listeners unfamiliar with it, can if you describe an intent-to-treat analysis?
1: Yeah. um, An intent-to-treat analysis uh, basically looks at patient outcomes simply based on what treatment they are randomized to and takes into account all treatment that is provided to the patient uh, during the course of follow-up. So in an intent-to-treat analysis, for example, in the TVT study, it would take into account all the treatment, including, uh, for example, a patient that, that um, was randomized to the trabeculectomy group but subsequently failed and needed a reoperation, and let's say they had a a tube shunt as their reoperation, all the data that was collected even after they received a tube shunt, actually the alternative operation that's being studied in this this particular study, that data would be included in an intent to treat analysis. So it takes into account all of the um, treatment medically and surgically that a patient receives fully based on what treatment groups are allocated to. That's a little bit different from, I think, another way of looking at data is once a patient fails in the study, they are generally censored from analysis. So the patient I just described that was randomized to the trabeculectomy group and ultimately failed and required a reoperation for glaucoma, that was one of the failure criteria in the study. So, in the analysis of data, they typically would be censored out after the time of their failure.
0: Let's talk about your results. Presumably, patients required fewer medications postoperatively than they had preoperatively.
1: That's correct. Again, the a preoperative a number of medications was about three uh, drops in, or three medications in both groups. Post-operatively, the trabeculectomy group at a year was on an average about, of about 0.5 medications, so half a medication, and the tube group was on 1.3 medications. And that difference was highly statistically significant. So at a year, the uh, tube group was on significantly more medical therapy than the trabeculectomy group.
0: Did you find any differences in the failure rate or success rate? I guess there are two different ways of saying the same thing.
1: We did. Yes, we did indeed. Now we prospectively defined failure as an intraocular pressure greater than 21 on two consecutive visits after three months or a pressure less than or equal to five on two consecutive visits after three months, Reoperation for glaucoma or loss of light perception. And that's that's, a, again, a definition we came up with, with prospectively, so we, we established it even before we looked at the data, and we used this definition because it's similar to what's been used in other glaucoma surgical trials like the cell filtering surgery uh, study and whatnot. When we applied this definition of failure, we found that at a year, using Kaplan-Meier survival analysis, that the cumulative probability of failure in the tube group was 3.9% and in the trabeculectomy group was 13.5% and that difference was highly statistically significant. So a higher failure rate in the trabeculectomy group after a year compared with the tube
0: group. What were the typical reasons for failure?
1: Well, the majority of patients actually in both groups failed because of inadequate pressure control there were no patients that failed because of loss of light perception and there were a few patients in the trabeculectomy group that failed because of hypotenuse so that pressure less than five on two consecutive visits after three months
0: steve getty is associate professor of ophthalmology and residency director at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine in Miami, Florida. His paper, Treatment Outcomes in the Tube versus Trabeculectomy Study After One Year of Follow-Up, is in press in the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Getty or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275. Or Skype, jayoungmd. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.